Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading this week's Sermon and Prayers of Intercession from the English Reformed Church Amsterdam. We hope you will enjoy what you are about to hear and that you will be blessed. Now God be in my speaking, God in our understanding, and may God move us. Amen. When I came here three weeks ago, I said that on the three Sundays I was preaching, I would look at different miracles. And today I want to look at the miracle which we might prefer not to look at, partly because it begs a whole lot of questions. Why did Jesus talk to spirits, evil spirits, rather than the man? And why did 2,000 pigs have to die? And why did the people who saw the marvelous things that he did, why did they want rid of him? And why did he not let the man follow him? Well, we'll come to these issues. But the reason why we might want to avoid this miracle is because it deals with someone who is allegedly possessed by an evil spirit. And we don't believe in unclean or evil spirits today. But people did a long time ago, and even fairly recently. The story we heard of Saul in the Hebrew Scriptures is a story of a king who suffered from a mental illness. But at that time, it was called an evil spirit. In Scotland, just after the Reformation, the Calvinist men ensured that 2,000 women died being drowned in rivers because they suspected them of being in league with the devil and having an evil spirit in them which made them witches. 2,000 women post-Reformation died because men believed they had an evil spirit in them. It's in, in our lifetime and that of those who went before us that particularly the study of psychiatry has begun to do a number of things and give us a language we never had before, distinguishing, for example, between those who are mentally handicapped, people who have been born with a disability which will not go away, and people who are mentally ill, who have been affected by a disorder of the mind which might be permanent but very often is temporary. One in four people in Western societies is affected by a mental illness at one time or other in their life. And at one time, we did not have the vocabulary to deal with this. And then, for those who had a mental impairment or handicap, came words like Down syndrome and learning difficulties and people who are on the autistic spectrum. And then, for those who had a mental illness, came words like psychosis and neurosis and depression and schizophrenia and Alzheimer's disease, words we never had before. But I think that even yet sometimes people associate some kind of mental illness with almost a kind of possession. I don't know whether people say it in your language, but in English and in Great Britain, if someone does something unusual, they might just say, I don't know what possessed me to do that. And if we talk to people who have suffered from an addiction, then they will say that it is as if a demon were inside them, 
which compels them to drink what will be bad for them or to gamble money which they don't have. It's as if the addiction has taken over a force within them. We speak to people who have suffered from depression and they might talk about a cloud which has overcome them and they are helpless in the face of the energy in this cloud of depression. A fond friend of mine who I'm calling Marnie is a a, a lovely, lovely girl who was a medical doctor and uh, I knew her husband and her when they had their first child. And after she gave birth to her first child, she, who was a doctor, had a postnatal psychosis, which meant she had to stay in a locked ward in a psychiatric hospital and her child was taken from her in case she would endanger him. And after four weeks, Marnie was allowed to come out of the hospital. And I would sometimes go to where she lived and take her for a walk. And I remember one day we were going to have coffee somewhere. And she says, I will have to go back home. I don't feel as if I'm in control of myself. So there is still within us this phenomenon. But we have language for it now. Thank God we have language. Just as we have language for physical illnesses, we have language for mental illnesses and for mental disability. So let's not be put off by this word about evil spirit or foreign spirit when we find it in the scripture. But let's go to the story. And I want just to light on three aspects of the story. And the first is that Jesus addresses the spirit, addresses the evil spirit. And you think, goodness sake, if Jesus knew everything, surely he knew that this man had a mental illness. Why did he not just say that? and help the man? Why did he address the evil spirit, speaking to it directly, come out of him, come out of him? Well, I don't have a great deal of pastoral experience. It's not the kind of job which I have. But for 18 years, I lived next to a church, and many people presume that because I lived in the church house, I was the pastor. And so sometimes people would come asking for assistance. So one night, uh, about half past 11, there is a knock on the door and there's a young man there who I recognized and his name was William. And William would be about 25, 26. And William uh, suffered from schizophrenia. And he came in very distressed. I took him into my room and asked him what the trouble was. He said, I'm hearing voices, I'm hearing voices. And with some naivety, I said, well, William, this is our dog, Pelly. You've met Pelly before. And you know that Pelly has better hearing than human beings? And William said, yes. I said, so if there were any voices, Pelly would hear them. His ears would prick up. But it's a stupid thing to say. I was trying to deal logically with someone whose experience was illogical. That was the wrong thing, the wrong thing. But then I said to him, William, what would you what would you, would you like? He said, I, I wish they would go away. I said, would you like me to pray with you? He said, yes. So I asked him if I could lay my hands on his head, and then I prayed that, the, that these voices, menacing voices, would go away. And five minutes later, William said, the voices have gone, and he was very calm. Now, I am not for a moment claiming miraculous powers, but I am saying that because he presented as a person who is hearing voices, 
that had to be taken seriously. So when Jesus sees someone who believes that he has an unclean or an evil spirit inside him, Jesus doesn't say, well, actually, what you have to understand is that you're suffering from a mental illness which in 2,000 years' time will be called schizophrenia. And you're also socially isolated, and that compounds your... That doesn't work. This man believes he's possessed by an unclean spirit, and therefore Jesus addresses the unclean spirit to drive that sensation out of the man. But then, what about the pigs? What about the pigs? Two thousand of them, destined to be eggs and bacon <laughs> in Great Britain, and browner bona soup met speck for people in the Netherlands. What is that about? Well, some biblical scholars say it's symbolic. Jesus is in a land which is not Jewish. The Jews, Jews uh, had no time for pigs. And Jesus is claiming this land for God by driving out the pigs. I don't buy that for a moment. But some very intellectually gifted people think that's what the story is about. But what I do believe is that if someone is convinced that they're possessed by a legion of devils, then what will persuade them that they are healed is not being told you are better, but by seeing something physically happening. This man is worried that if the devils go out of him, they might go for a holiday somewhere else and then come back in. But if he sees 2,000 pigs going over a cliff, then that will be a sign for him that these devils are terminated and no longer will be affecting him. In a small way, it's a bit like if someone has been in a car crash they become very afraid of either driving again or of being in that part of the countryside where the crash happened. And the only way in which this fear can be eroded, taken away, is for them to sit behind a wheel and to drive where they once drove and to lose that fear. Again, logic, logic doesn't work. There has to be an experience, there has to be a sign that the difficulty is over. Then we come to the third thing, which is rather unusual. The gospel records that after the man had been cured, people from the local city asked Jesus to leave. He has done what no one else could do, and people are amazed, but they want him to go. Well, it could be that some of these people have an investment in pig farming and think if he stays around long enough... There'll never be any eggs and bacon or brown bonus soup. So the quicker we get rid of them, the better. But I want to suggest that it's something else, and it's something which will affect most of our societies. Namely, that we sometimes have an embarrassment, an awkwardness in dealing with people who are either mentally handicapped or who are mentally ill. In the 1980s, all through the English-speaking world, beginning with Great Britain, there was a decision by governments that people who were long-term patients in mental hospitals, people who had born with an intellectual handicap or people who had Down syndrome, that these hospitals should close and people should be sent into the community for care. 
but very few communities wanted to care. And certainly the communities who received these people were very seldom wealthy communities. Oh no, it was the poorer parts of the town where these people who were institutionalized were expected to integrate and to live comfortably. And thank God, and I've seen this in Brisbane and in New Hampshire and in Epsom in England, thank God that some churches felt we have to deal with these people who are being isolated and who've never learned what it is to be full members of society. But that's mental handicap. Mental illness is perhaps the thing which is a bit more difficult. I have a friend who recently, maybe five years ago now, retired from being a psychiatrist. She'd been a psychiatrist all her life. She was 55. And in Britain, you can retire then. And I said, so what are you going to do now that you're retired? And she said, I'm going to become an advocate for mental health. Oh, I said, what does that mean? She said, well, it means that I am prepared to go to schools, to churches, to any kind of gathering where people are together and talk about mental health. We talk very easily about physical health. We don't talk about mental health. And until we have a vocabulary, until we can speak about what makes for good mental health and how we can respond to people who are ill or who are disadvantaged, we're not going to progress. All the money in the world could come into the National Health Service, but really we have to take away the scare. Now, she's saying this with great enthusiasm. I said, you're very passionate about this. She said, I am. I said, is there a reason? And she said, yes. She said, I go to a church in Nottingham where before the service begins, there's 20 minutes when people gather to pray for those who are ill. So she said, sometimes I go to that short prayer service. And one day I went and there's this, somebody says, oh, there's a a man who sat at the front, Mr. Robertson, the old man, he's about 85, and he's had a heart attack and he's in hospital. It looks quite bad. And people said, we should pray for Mr. Robertson. So they all prayed for Mr. Robertson. Now my friend says, three weeks later, I go back to this prayer group. I'm at home for the weekend. And I go to the prayer group and people are saying, now who will we pray for? And someone says, well, you know, there's a, a young woman at the back. She's married to that, that boy, you know, the, the guy with the, the guy who wears, wears glasses and she doesn't wear glasses. They sit in the second back row and, and she's, she's bipolar, bipolar. Uh-huh. Well, it seems that she made an attempt on her life last week. And she's in the psychiatric hospital in a locked ward. Nobody said anything. And then somebody said, do you think we should pray for her? And somebody else said, why don't we phone her husband and ask if he would like us to pray for her? Now, what was happening there? Is God only a God of the body and not a God of the mind? Are we still given over to evil spirits? What happens when somebody has a psychotic or a neurotic episode? Jesus would have none of that. And so, at the very end of the story, this unusual thing happens. He's been asking people to follow him all the time, to Matthew and to Peter and James and John, Zacchaeus, follow me. And here's a man who wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to follow me. I want you to go back to your city and let people know the great things that God has done. 
He needs this man to be an advocate, both for the healing power which is present in God and to allow these people who chained him up, the people who chained him up, are the people who have to let him minister to them and take away their fear of people who are strange or who are different. Well, let me finish with a lovely story of the church I used to go to in Glasgow, just as a member. It was a huge building. It had 1,200 seats all the way upstairs and down 1,200, and there were only 43 people there. <laughs> so they sat all over the place. And then a new pastor came, and he said, I think we should sit together. You know, we are the body of Christ, the joined-up body. Let's sit together. And people did. We were all in the front four pews on either side of the aisle. We could easily, 43 could sit there. And there was a family, a young family, a husband and wife, and they had a, a boy called Andrew, who was a, Down, it was a boy who had Down syndrome. Lovely boy with red cheeks, and his parents always dressed him in bright clothes because Down syndrome children love bright clothes. So he, but he sat, they sat over at the side. And people sometimes would say, it's a pity for these parents that they've got a Down syndrome child. Well, of course, when we sit together, Andrew is in the middle of other people. And I'm sitting behind him one day, and his parents are speaking to someone who's just come back to the church, who hadn't been there for a long time. And Andrew has become fascinated with Mr. McMurray, who sits in front of him, who had a bald head and gray hair, which was rather long at the back. And I saw Andrew putting his hand forward to tug Mr. McMurray's hair. And I thought, perhaps I should tell his parents. And I thought, no, I'm going to watch this. <laughs> so he begins to tug old McMurray's hair. There's a man about 82. Tug McMurray's hair. And you could see the hair going back. <laughs> and I thought, oh, he's going to turn around and he's going to say to these parents, control your child, because that's the kind of man he was. He was a nasty man. So Andrew has tugged one time too much, and Murray turns around, and Andrew goes, Andrew! <laughs> and Mr. McMurray went, oh, uh, 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 Tom. <laughs> that was the first time I knew that man's Christian name. Previously, he was Mr. McMurray. And this wee boy became an ambassador in that congregation to introduce people to each other and to let them lose their fear of those who look different and who sometimes acted strangely. And of such is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And so we pray. And let us first thank God for the measure of health which we enjoy and for those who care for us, body, mind, and spirit. And thank God for our ability to care for others. And let us thank God for all that nourishes us, good food and good company, good books, good advice, good experience, and thank God for our ability to nourish others. 
And let us thank God for whatever or whoever brought us to this place where we sit today. And for all those whose faith has encouraged us and whose prayers have embraced us. As you, Lord Jesus, broke down the barriers of race and class and nation and difference to declare God's love in all made in his image, bless those who today reach across borders and face personal danger in order that the sick might be healed, the hungry fed, the prisoner rehabilitated, and so that the war-torn, the weary, and all who live with their demons might find acceptance and a deeper peace. Because in our world, the peace we need is threatened in one place by racist killings, in another by trade wars, in another the resurgence of the arms trace, in another the ransacking of nature, we do not ask you for cosmetic solutions. But we do ask for men and women of integrity to fearlessly speak truth to power. And we ask that those who exercise power might listen to more than their own prepared speeches. And if there is a person, a place, a cause which is in our heart today and for which we feel drawn to pray, let us now do that in silence and with the solidarity of those around us. these and all our prayers we offer in the strong name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.